Welcome into On Her Turf, everybody. I'm Andrea Costa Ruiz, and this is the podcast where my co-host, Lindsay Zarniak, and I, we talk about it all, truly, but we also talk about uh, women in sports and what they have done and continue to contribute to the landscape from all over and how they're impacting lives both on and off the field, court, track, ice, you name it, we go there. Now, if you're new here, welcome to the squad. You're sort of joining us in what would be the equivalent of a family reunion times a million, right? Because we're in the middle of the Beijing Winter Olympic Games. They are off and running. And the Super Bowl is also about, oh, I don't know, three and a half seconds from now. So it feels like. So there's a lot going on. Um, and earlier this week, in the midst of all of this, my dear friend Lindsay got to catch up with our On Her Turf TV co-host, Lolo Jones. And if keeping it real was a person, it would be Lolo Jones. No question. She does not mince words. It's one of the things that I love and admire about her. And this was a very candid, honest, and fully transparent conversation. They talk about not making the Olympic team to possible retirement status, mental health, and everything in between. Here's that combo. To say that I'm excited about this week's guest is an understatement. So I'm going to give you the backstory first, and then I'm going to fill in some of the gaps. This week's guest, there's no question you know exactly who she is. She was an NCAA champion on the track, became a household name as a hurdler for Team USA. She's gone on to win world championships in track and field and bobsled, as well as making a name for herself on TV. She's graced magazine covers while remaining at the top of her game in both summer and winter sports. Lolo Jones. I'm so, but here's the thing. Lolo Jones is also one of these people who is amazing because she is so open, but when she is so open about things, she is so entertaining. And I had the opportunity to co-host with her last summer at the Tokyo Olympic Games for On Her Turf, the show. And Lolo, I'm just so excited that you're joining me here because that was such a highlight for me. You were so fun to work with. And... It's like, finally, I'm reunited. I've missed yeah. you so much. I know. I know. Uh, honestly, you say it was so much fun working with me, but I have to just give props to you because I, I mean, I was like a deer in headlights. That was the first time I was <laughs> co-hosting a TV show. And, you know, even like, you know, your mannerisms from talking like, welcome. And I was like, oh, I'm going to copy that on my next take. So I was just trying to just <laughs> uh, feed off of you. <laughs> You're so sweet. No, but you... um Man, it was like so refreshing because first of all, we've said this with a lot of people that have come on this podcast, but you know, we were talking about things. It was really new and for me, eye opening and also refreshing to just be able to have these conversations that are things that I had never necessarily gotten an opportunity to talk about and to have you to fill in those, those gaps was just awesome. But also watching you, you know, at that same time, I know you were training, you were, you know, you were in the midst of like that transition, you were transitioning to the full training for bobsled, all that stuff. You were doing a podcast which is out now, Gold Medal Loser, which is awesome. But you were grinding. Um, yeah. Yeah, right? So it's just, it's really cool to see how, wh what's the headline for you right now? Uh, honestly, there is no headline. It's just more like I'm Good. on a day-by-day -day <laughs> scenario. I worked really hard that, uh, you know, because leading in, so uh, that was my last year as a bobsledder. And so I you know, I was like, Ooh, am I going to be retired after this? Like what's going to go on? So I just made sure I hustled really hard because I know that most Olympic athletes, it takes them about two to four years to kind of find something unless they move directly into coaching. And so if there was an opportunity, I took it. Like my agent's like, do you want to do this? I was just like, I don't really want to do this, but like, I don't know what kind of job I'm going to have after being an athlete. <laughs> right. So I don't want to be unemployed. So <laughs> I was just working hard because, you know, you just hear these horror stories of athletes and they're like, struggling and so now I'm like on the other end of that I just finished up bobsled season because I didn't make the team and then I'm like oh my gosh like okay so I'm financially good but like emotionally I'm in the tank so it's uh it's been an interesting kind of season there's so much to peel off that onion. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know where to begin. I know. It's don't. Just let it go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so we're, we're going to pin a bunch of those things for a moment because I do want to <laughs> ask you some rapid fire. But before I do that, two things. I want to get to your hair because I, I love this look. But first. This is what happens when you don't make an Olympic team. <laughs> 
Okay, well, we'll just go there now anyway. crisis. Really? Is that what it was? Is that what you said you've always no, wanted? No, I know. Hair, right? I know if everybody's going to think it's probably it. I, and I'm making jokes that it is, but honestly, I've been wanting to, to change my hair color for a minute. I don't have tattoos. I, uh, I'm a pretty boring person. I stay home a lot. I put my hair in a ponytail every day. I do the same workouts. I eat the same foods. I'm a creature of a habit. And so I've been talking about this hair color for years. And then maybe probably the not making the Olympic team was like, a little bit to do, but, but it was more so like, oh my gosh, I might have to get a real job. If I get a real job, I can't ever dye my hair a crazy color. So I was like, you got about a few month gap to do this before you enter into the other side. So it was more so like that. And then I was just like, ah, you know, if I want to keep it, I'll keep it, you know? <laughs> Wait. So, and when you say real job, like what would you classify as a real job? Uh, anything that's not running. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anything that's like, I mean, I'm an, you know, I've been an athlete so long, like I don't have a boss. So it's like, if I show up to work, you know, like when I showed up with this hair color, cause I, I mean, I'm back running track. I mean, not yeah. like trying to make an Olympic push or anything. I'm just running day by day. Like I might retire tomorrow. Who knows? But, um, I showed up to track practice and my coach did not even acknowledge the hair. Like, can no. you imagine if I was going? No, he did. He was just like, he did not acknowledge it until the end of practice. And then he was just like, he puts his hand on my sh- shoulder and he goes, are you okay? <laughs> No, I got purple Barney hair and I just didn't make an Olympic team. No, I'm not okay. What the hell? This is a midlife crisis. Oh, right in your face. Wait a minute. No, that's yeah. so, so funny too, because no, you, you, know, you finish, you go, but I, no, go ahead. you yeah. talked to me about this coat. I remember one of the things that I tucked away in my brain from our conversations was you talking about the difference between sometimes like between having a, a female and a male coach. And you were yeah. telling me, cause and I've thought about this a lot about actually during the NFL season, I thought about this a couple of times. I can't remember what the context was, but you were saying that sometimes it's good to have a male coach because of the way that their brains are wired and it's like less emotional and it's just show up. And it, yeah. so that, that is, that's why that's so funny to me. This is so, definitely a male coach moment. It's just like, we're not going to acknowledge this, but then maybe I should ask just in case, but I don't know. I feel like <laughs> when I said that, when I, cause I was on social media, I told that story and yeah. all of like my female followers, like that's how my husband is. Like they yep. like, so they were just like, uh, I was like, okay, cool. So I guess this is a normal thing. They're so, like, do you guys. need, do you need me to ask you this question? <laughs> um, wait. So when he didn't ask you when you showed up, did that even register with you? Or were you just like, so in the zone and whatever, not a big deal. Uh, no, I was like, so he's, it was just like this awkward, the whole, like two hours of practice. I like, and I'm like right in his face, you know, I'm just like, we're not going to talk about this. We're not going to talk about the elephant in the room. But then I had remembered in, in college, I pierced my nose and I showed up and I knew he could see it. It's like, I mean, when you're getting coached, they're right there in your face. And so I knew he recognized something was different about my face. And he said nothing. And I took it out like the next day. So, yeah. <laughs> it's like awesome coach psychology. Okay, wait. So you mentioned posting. That, that's the other. It's a perfect segue to the other thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, your post about sending the knee jerk uh message the six minute long oh, oh my dear gosh. god lolo i was peeing my pants because the, that guy is so hot too i really messed up i sent a six minute if you get if you guys don't follow me on social media i sent a six <laughs> minute long voice voice note to a guy six minutes so that's just like that's a nail in the coffin like he actually did dm me back after that but i haven't heard from him since so so what yeah <laughs> and for the listeners the question that respond they got the response of a six minute answer was what so here's the funny thing. He didn't even ask me anything. <laughs> <laughs> he was making a statement off of something else. And it was basically my argument why I disagreed with his statement. But like not, it wasn't like a fight or anything. It was just more like just talking, but it was like, yeah, six minutes is, yeah, I'm a spiritual person. So it was more like, it was like you know, kind of sharing my Christian faith. So I'm very passionate about it, but it was a little bit much. He yeah, did but, like, yeah, it was a bit much. He's just like, I probably should just called. <laughs> no, you know what? I think it's awesome. You're, you're being you and that's what's so awesome about you. And, and it's just all. Is good. it awesome? It's not awesome. I'll be single forever sending out six minute voice notes. Would you just stop saying that? You're <laughs> no not going to be single forever. First off, no one even uses vo- voice notes. I do. No one. Yeah. You know who does? No. Taylor Swift. No. Taylor Swift. That's how she records some of her songs. I know this. Seriously. Okay, that's Taylor Swift, who's like a billionaire. 
I'm pretty sure she can get rid of, she can, she can do things that I can't do. And she can sing. I can't sing, but like, no, seriously, people send voice, like the voice memos, but like, this was an actual recording. Like, you know, I have to go into like the voice thing on your iPhone. It wasn't like the little microphone button on text message that you can do like a one minute or two minute. I actually had to go to a different app record it and then save and send like it had a title and everything it had like a title like i could put a title on it so it was like you you were actually that passionate that you know what you should do a segment like that on your seriously you should make that a segment on your podcast and make it voice memo lolo's voice memo and do like a <sighs> yeah 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 seriously I, at the I, end I just, of a no or well i know you're like you know you guys are pretty much You've got all you need with music guests. Now I'm going down a rabbit hole. But I think you should yeah. work. I think you should do something with that because I think it's almost like, and you're passionate and you're talking about how, you know, you're spiritual. It's like, like, it's good stuff that you're sharing. It's, you should cultivate that. Um, all right. We're going to, I'm going to throw out some icebreakers here because now we're way off the rails and I, I got to get us back here. All right. Wh- what is your first memory of watching women's sports? Do you have one? Uh, I remember either the Atlanta Olympics or one of the winter Olympics in figure skating, like in trying to do like their little routines in my living room. Yes. But, um, yeah, it was so, so weird. So th- those are like just watching Olympics. And I don't remember, it's funny cause I don't really remember the males at the Olympics. I just remember the females. And oh. honestly, I really thought I could be gymnastics or figure skating, even though I'm like, wait, I was already past my prime watching these things because I was already in middle school by you. And those are both very, very young sports. Like you need to be like basically doing them at like six. Right. <laughs> so did you take yeah. up either of them? And try? No, negative. It's so funny. I was so passionate about them, but like it was not. Uh, and like I watched track and field, but I really remember gymnastics and figure skating. And like really thinking I had a chance in both of those, even though I was like, but then I'd go to track practice and wouldn't, it wouldn't even register on my brain that like, oh, you could also run track. I was just like, I'm just running track. <laughs> <laughs> because you just were so good at it though. You were, it was right. It was something that once you started. Well, I was good at it, but also it's a very like, it's a sport that uh, it helps uh, kids that are in poverty because there's not yeah. a lot of fees. Like if you think about gymnastics or figure skating you have to pay like ice rink fees or you have to pay like facility fees at a very young age well track like you can go run summer track programs anywhere in the u.s and all you need is a pair of shoes and you don't even need a pair of shoes like you don't even need the track spikes a lot of the kids are so poor they they just run in like tennis shoes you know like Mm -hmm. and it's free like i mean it's completely free like you might have like a little summer track fee which is like nothing but uh, on our track team, we actually just raised money. So the coach knew that the kids were so poor, we would like go sell raffle tickets and this and that. So it was more like just I was poor growing up. I didn't have access to those like richer sports. And so that's basically what I did. I love the part in your book where you're talking about sometimes running like with a cello. Was it a cello on your back? Yeah, no, I wouldn't run on my back. I would just carry it in my carry hand. And just yeah. Okay. Yeah, you you could run with the back, but it's like it's just faster if you ran it with your in your hand. So yeah, but yeah, that's a real life story. Like it's funny because you have to in bobsled, you have to carry these heavy like equipment and bags, and you're like you're trying to run quick to and from, and so it actually helped me. And and you know in middle school, it's it's weird the things I did that like actually really helped me be a great professional athlete. So. Sometimes I feel like that's an intentional thing that happens in life. You know what I mean? And that it's, it's just, you've obviously it's, this is also spiritual, but it's like, you don't realize the things that you're being prepared for, right? You know, Mm -hmm. in different ways. I like that. Um, Okay. If you had a superpower besides your super speed, (laughs) what would it be? Uh, A superpower? I mean, probably uh, where you could just like travel wherever you want without actually getting on a plane. Or be invisible, either one of those two, because I don't know, you just you could you could just show up somewhere and pop in. (laughs) Yeah, that actually would be really nice, especially with COVID going on, just like TSA. You don't have to wait in TSA lines, you just be like snap your finger or something, just like I could be in Cali, yeah, or somewhere. (laughs) Sitting on the beach. All right. What what would you say is your favorite thing about track and field? 
uh, I don't know if anybody likes anything about Dragonfield. It's just <laughs> my producer Amber is laughing because she was talking to I me don't. about the four hundred hurdles. Or it was yeah, a, it's, it's just a sport. It's a sport everybody tries to get out of, but it just like. <laughs> It's like the conditioning sport. It's like, you know, I I just kept running because I was good at it. And it it got me a scholarship to college. And then I made the Olympics travel around the world. But like, it's like, what's your favorite thing about it? Uh, The fact that it allowed me to have opportunities. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But but truly, when I think about track athletes, I'm like that you guys are on such a pedestal to me because you talk about like the difference between a track athlete and just a normal person. And I'm like, oh, my God, I could not ever do that and have the, you know, speed or the endurance. So my hat's I off. mean, track is fun to watch, but like when you're actually doing it and yeah. doing the workouts, you're like, this sucks. You know, it's like, if you think about all the other sports, like basketball, football, every rugby. So like they do their conditioning, they do the running part and then they're like, okay, let's go league play with the basketball or let's go play with the football. Like let's do a scrimmage. What do you do in track? It's like, okay, let's go run some more. Okay. Let's go (laughs) run some more. All right. We're going to run some more. So I don't know. It's not like the, yeah, that's it. Okay. Favorite song to pump you up. I don't have a favorite song. There's no way I could ever answer this. I I honestly, I listen to a lot of dance music when I'm running. Um, and then if I'm doing a, like a warm up for a race, it can switch to like anything. Like it could be like hard rock one day, rap one day, dance one day. It honestly just depends on my mood. And then if stuff gets really, really bad, I will go with no music at all. Like I will just no music. And then I'm just doing mental cues in my head what I want to execute in the race. So I, I, I don't have a really good pump up song. <laughs> Sorry. That's an interesting that's what, answer though. If you yeah. could go live anywhere in the world, where would it be? I don't know. I guess I'd have to wait until see where until until I get married, you know, like I don't, I, that that's where I want to want to be wherever my husband, you know, like I like Louisiana, love the food. If I could take the food of, of Louisiana, but like, not the humidity of it. So somewhere like California's weather, but then uh, just the diversity in Europe. Like, I mean, can I make a place? <laughs> yeah, that's actually pretty creative. <laughs> I like it. All right. Pen relays or Drake relays? Oh yeah. So I can't answer this one. Cause that's like asking if I'm a Republican or a Democrat and especially really? since I'm from Iowa, I would get destroyed if I said anything but Drake relays, Amber. but <laughs> yeah, I mean, she knows what I'm talking about because I've run them both. I've, I've literally, they're the most iconic track and field competitions in the U.S. If you don't know about them, they're both over a hundred years old, a hundred years old running these competitions. Like Jesse Owens ran at both of these. So Michael Johnson, like the legends of track and field run at both of these competitions. So Drake Relays is also my first track meet ever. I remember running there in elementary school. They had like this fun run for little kids. And so Mm. I ran there as a kid and it's like, that's what sparked the track and field interest for me because I remember like this whole huge, like thousands of people cheering for track and field. And it's like, that's actually not real life, but it kind of sold me on the sport because most of our track meets are quite smaller. <laughs> no one cares about track and field, but like you go to Drake Relays is like, I don't know, it's like 40 to 60,000 people. I don't know. It's a lot of people. So, uh, but yeah, it tricked me. It tricked me that it was track and field was like NBA and it's not <laughs> until the Olympics. But, and then, uh, obviously, uh, Penn Relays is amazing because all the celebrities come out and it's just like, a who's who it's, you know, team USA always goes out and runs the relay. So I cannot decide that, but you basically have to decide if you want, like what kind of food you want if, to determine your favorite, like Drake relays has these big Turkey legs and funnel cakes. And then pen relays has like the Jamaican flair. Cause there's a lot mm. of Jamaicans out there. So they'll have like curry go and like Philly cheese steaks. So like depending on what kind of food you want as a fan, that's how you determine your track meat, your favorite track meat. I'm just no. That was a terrible answer. No, it was. I I mean, I'm just. I'm thinking. Here's that's the problem with. I didn't even talk about the athletes. I was just like, "Ah, pick your food. (laughs) I like it. Why not? Right? (laughs) We are. uh, We're getting to know Olympian Lolo Jones on the On Her Turf podcast. I'm here with world champion Lolo Jones on the On Her Turf podcast. And what I love about this is this was what our show was back in the summer when we were at the, doing the Tokyo Games. And Lolo, that was so awesome to be able to talk to you about so many different things and also just get your athlete's perspective on track and field. And then I remember talking to you about what was next, which was trying to, um, you know, to make 
the bobsled team that didn't happen. Can you walk me through just the process for you? And there's so much time between when we last had that conversation. And I know there's so much work that you put in, but what that was like. Uh, yeah. So I, I mean, I put in really good work. Um, I thought I was ready and, um, I had like one small injury at the beginning of the season that took me out of push championships, but I, I came back from that and I was uh, doing really well. Uh, the difficult part of bobsled is you push it with someone else. So like, if you don't, if you don't have a good result, you don't know if it's you or if it's the other person. And so, um, I had a race with Kaylee. I got one race one race with her and it was not a good race. And so like the coaches were like, well, two people push a bobsled. We don't think it was you. We don't think it was like, they, they didn't know cause it was so early in the season. And they're like, don't worry. We're going to give you another shot. We're going to give you another race for over two months. Every week they said that they were going to give me another race. They never did. And not only that, we had a race off in practice, like right before, like two or three weeks before they announced the official team. And I killed it in that race off. I had one of the top numbers. I like was absolutely boss. And they were like, Ooh, we were surprised. Like, like the, I did so well. The guys started congratulating me. They're like, wow. way to stick it out. Low, low. Like the coaches were icing you. They're definitely going to give you a race now. Didn't get a race. I kept asking the coaches like, Hey, what's going on? They're like, don't worry about it. It's week by week. We're going to give you another race. It just became to the point where like, I was very frustrated. Not only I was I, four other girls only got one race. It was the most disrespectful thing I've ever seen in a sport ever. The numbers were so close with the girls. They didn't give two of the current girls that had Olympic medals another race. They didn't give me, who's a current world champion, another race. They just kept racing the same girls over and over and over again. And it's hard when you only have one race to make an Olympic team. And, you know, I would have understood if like our race off numbers, when we had the race off numbers in practice, like if I did terrible in those race offs, I'm like, okay, cool. I understand. I completely understand. We all push. Let me show you these numbers. The numbers were 58, 59, 59, 60. That's how close the girls were. All six girls on the USA bobsled team. Only two girls got multiple races. If the numbers are that close, I personally think, and it's not me, well, not even me personally, other people have complained that that coaches, USA Bobsled should have done a better job of making sure that everybody had multiple opportunities to fight for their Olympic spot. So I don't blame the girls that made the team. I have nothing but respect for them. I think the coaches did a terrible job, terrible job. And I think the CEO should have figured this out I think that they should have done justice for people's Olympic dreams. There were three girls that were fighting for their last Olympic team ever. And to give those girls only one race and other girls, six races, five races. I mean, it just didn't make sense. And so for me, it just, I'm going to be honest, it left a bitter, bitter uh, portion in my heart for USA bobsled. And I think one of the most frustrating things that, was said to me is when Kurt, he's on, he's the high performance director for USA bobsled. And this is literally two seconds after they said, I, what, I didn't make the, the Olympic team. He was like, well, we hope that you consider yourself more of a bobsledder now than track. And I was like, bro, I've made two summer Olympic teams. I broke the American wow. record for track and field, meaning I'm the fastest ever to run the hurdles. And you're literally telling me two seconds after I didn't make the Olympic team, after you guys blocked me all season, I should feel more, more like a bobsled athlete than a track and field athlete. Like you shouldn't even say that. Like, just don't say that. And I was just, I bowed out gracefully and I don't know. I just been praying for my other teammates that had the experience I did. And I hope USA bobsled cleans it up because when you have team USA go compete at the Olympics, you want to make sure that the coaches, the federation did everything they could to find out the right combinations for those teams. One of the teams, like Alana Myers, I have an 86% medal rate with her. I did not get one race with her. I have the highest medal rate with her. The next person after her with, I think it's like a 40% medal rate. The girls that made the Olympic, one of the girls that made the Olympic team got zero medals with her all year. So I just, I was a bit confused. <laughs> didn't understand. Um, and 
if you're talking about mental health, I saw so many athletes struggle mentally because the coaches were like, just stay ready. Just stay ready. Like you'll get another opportunity. And it's like, they should have just been honest with me, my other teammates. They should have been like, you know what? These are the two girls we're going to race all season. And if you want to stick around, stick around. If not, you know, go do other things, but like mental health, they kind of just dragged us out. And I mean, it just was frustrating. It was frustrating on a lot of levels. And like, I, I hope I'm not coming off as like, you know, too harsh, but like, I really value mental health. And I feel like after I had my race in November and, you know, it wasn't good. I wish they would have just been like, you're, you're, you're not going to get another race. But then like to have us do a race off and then I really do re- well in the race off. And they're like, ah, you know what? You did well in this race off, but we're just going to ignore these results. <laughs> completely that was what was the most hurtful so i don't know but they're in china half the bobsled team has covid right now anyway so like maybe it's better i'm not over there because i'm not i don't have covid so uh i'm back here healthy i I mean that's a one plus side you know i'm not getting covid so i uh you know, I am sure that there are people that relate to that level of frustration, not just in sports, but in other, you know, facets of life, right? So my question hearing you describe that is, what do you do when there's something like that that's going on, right? And in your case, were you, could, did you find ways to voice that? Can you voice that at the Olympic level? And did you get any sort of response as to why? Well, I did. I voiced it afterwards to the internal, like, well, in December, I voiced it to the CEO, Aaron, um, and McGuire. And I'm actually really disappointed in his response. He was like, well, I can't do anything. And I'm like, you're the CEO. He was like, I can't do anything because he was just like, oh, USA, like the coaches determine the races. But I was just like, if the numbers are close and it shows that there should be some kind of evaluation or you guys need to determine like what's going on. And that's that was the frustrating part. And then afterwards, I actually did talk to uh, one of the sports psych, Dr. Mara from the United States Olympic Committee. And then she had me talk to someone else because I said, look, regardless, like I don't like it's not about the athletes who made the team. It's about how the coaches went about this process. If they just would have been honest, I was like, they strung me out. I'll give you an example how bad it was. They strung me out. My dad passed away in December in the middle of bobsled season. And when the coaches were saying, they were like, oh yeah, you can go home for the funeral. But they were, I, I asked them one question. I was like, look, I know you're trying to keep everybody on edge and not tell us who's racing week by week. I was just like, please just let me know if I'm not racing so I can go home. And they're like, oh, oh we don't know. It was the same girls. They knew exactly who was racing. All they had to just say is, Lolo, you're not racing. And I would have gone home. But like, they basically had me decide between my Olympic dream and my dad's funeral without having me to decide. And they were like, oh, we sent you texts like saying you could go home. But it's just like, if you only have one race and you know you might only get one more race and you're holding on for hope and the coaches won't tell you if you're not racing or not, what are you going to decide? Are you going to decide to go home for your dad's funeral? Or you're like, oh man, if I go home, that might be my only shot to make this Olympic team. That's how awesome that... It was that the sports psych reached out to me because I literally was so broken after USA bobsled, what the coaches did to me. I threw up two months nonstop the last two months of bobsled due to the stress. Like every morning I would wake up and throw up. Like it was just lack of training on their part. And I was struggling, struggling hard after I came back home. Four months on the road, my last Olympic dream crushed having the coaches be awful in communication and literally not get one text message from the coach. Like, Hey, just checking in on you, not one text. So I just think that USA bobsled is just, uh, needs to do a deep house dive after these Olympics and really work on how they treat the athletes, mental health and all of that, because I almost didn't make it out alive. Can you tell me the difference for you in the stress level between anything you had experienced at, in terms of Olympic track and field? Because obviously all of these sports 
have a high stress level. But when you talk about the stress level that you were experiencing with this bobsled experience, how did it feel different? Track and field is completely different because in track and field, we have Olympic trials and the top three that cross the line. Those are the people that make the team. There's no politics involved. It's just one, two, three. It's not so selecting. Right. When I've ma- when I've not made Olympic teams for track and field, you're very sad, but you're also like, it's weird. You have a sense of like relief and like pride, like, okay, cool. But I like, I put it all out there. Bobsled, you never know. You're like, well, what if I would have got another race? You know, like what if the coaches wouldn't have like blocked me the whole season? You know, like it's just, and it's politics. It's like, they have this checklist. And one of the che- one of the things is like teamwork and all that. Like that can be just construed any way you want. So uh they need to fix their criteria's process for bobsled for sure, but honestly I think that they just they <laughs> I would to be honest like the coaches, the coaches either need training or they they got to go. And especially the CEO should have had more of an eagle's eye on the coaches kind of preventing athletes from getting races. So Um, but yeah, the only thing in track and field that's political is the relay selection because they have four people and they can pick who they want. And it's not just like, okay, we're going to take the top 400 runners. Sometimes they'll pick a 200 runner. Sometimes they'll pick like Allison Felix, who's a 400 runner. Sometimes she's been on the four by one relay and it causes a little bit of controversy, but at the same time, you can usually validate it with times like, oh, this person ran this or that. And, and in bobsled, we don't have those those um, metrics. So you, you talked about almost not making it out alive. How did you how did you get out of it? How did you start to? Climb I mean, back up? I'm you know, I'm still <laughs> I'm still fighting. You know, I, I got great days and then I have moments where I'm just absolutely devastated and and it's, it's weird. It's not on not making a team. Like I have so much peace in like my effort and my fight. It's just like how the coaches treated me. It was just like, if they just would have been honest, like if they just wouldn't have dragged us out for like months, for months, like it, it just communication means a lot to me. And I just feel like the, the coaches, the CEO should have done a better job. I feel like You know, even when you don't make the Olympic team, they don't tell you per se why you don't make the Olympic team. They're just like, you didn't make the team. And it's just like, they don't go over numbers with you. They don't say, oh, you didn't make it because your velocity. You didn't make it because your push. You didn't make it like they don't tell you anything. They're just like, you didn't make the team. So like if you're, do you think about anything in life? What brings you a lot of peace is closure. And like, mm-hmm. how do you get that closure? Like, oh, well, like if you're in a relationship, what brings you closure? Like we fought all the time or, you know, the lo- the we had a long distance relationship. It didn't work out. So having those answers brings you peace and closure. Well, bobsled doesn't give you anything. So you're just like treading water. You know, you can never figure it out. You just have to like try to guess at, well, why didn't you have what it takes to make the Olympic team? So um, I think that they need to change that. I think when they uh, tell people if they've made it or not made it, they're like, this is why you made the team and this is why you didn't make the team, you know? And like, I had to find out from third parties that it was close. Like it came down to certain numbers, but like if they should be like, oh, you were really close, but like, this is what happened. And this is why we think the other girl is better. They just mm-hmm. don't do that. So, you know, those you know, horse, I think they're afraid of the hard conversations and I think that goes back to the difference between like a male versus female coach. So I feel like a female coach would just be like, like, I don't think that they would be afraid to have like an in-depth conversation. I think they're afraid that the girl is going to get emotional. And so that's why they don't give you most of the selection committee is guys. There was only one girl on the selection committee, but everybody else was guys. So I think it'd be nice if there was like more, they're not afraid. Like if a girl gets emotional, but when they told me, it's just like, I don't know if they expect me to just like start crying, but I was like, I was like stone cold, Numb. whatever. Like it was just like, I've, like, come on guys. I've not made teams before, you know, but like, I was just like, yeah, it was more so like their communication. Well, listen, I think that, um, you know, like I've already said that in this, in this episode, that one of the things that I think is such an awesome strength of yours is just your honesty, you know, and your, um, openness and, you know, I, there, maybe there's a reason for that. And I think the fact that you are talking about that, you have a power, you've done it before and the, and the things that you talk about lead to change, you know? So I've, I hope, I mean, I don't know. It's, I'm not the only one trying to fight for change. There were, there were, 
there were, I think, four other athletes. I think one was actually talking about going legal to try to get USA bobsled to change uh, just how they do it. And like, it's, it was weird talking to athletes. None of them are upset about the people that made the team. They're all just furious. Like the communication, the coaches, the procedures, they just, and they want it to be better for future athletes going forward. But I, I don't know. I had to kind of stop having meetings for a little bit. Cause like my mental uh, energy was just draining. So, um, but yeah. Um, and then just be honest, I don't think that it's ever going to change. I, and not in bobsled. I just, I feel like they've had this problem for so many years. And I just don't think that like, and I just, unless they get a better coach or a CEO in place that really cares about the athletes, then I think it's just going to be the same situation. Lola, what is the difference between men's qualifying in bobsled versus females? Well, that's a really interesting question because my answer should be, there's no difference, but there's a big difference that the men get to compete in four man and women only get to compete in two. So which that what that boils down to is men have over more than double the amount of uh, spots. So there's more like uh, people that make the team for the Olympics for men versus the women. Like we have equal amount of events now because women just got the new event monobob. But the problem with monobob is it's a one person bobsled. And the person that does the monobob is the driver. So it's the same person that's in the two person. So it's not adding an extra spot. Well, when uh, men qualify, they have a four man bobsled. Four people are in that sled. Then they also have a two man bobsled competition. So what it boils down to is you'll have a team on the men's side of like 20 something athletes and the women, you'll have a team of, I think team USA only has four girls, four, four girls made the team two pilots and two brakemen for Team USA. And we are one of the best. We had uh, Alana, who was number one in the world overall, and Kaylee Humphreys, who I think was like top three overall in the world. And then guess what? Guess what our men are ranked? Our men are unranked. They're not even top 10 in the world. And they have, I think on the team that made it was eight. And then they have two alternates. The women, do you know how many spots the women got for the alternate? One. So the women are much better for Team USA and have less than half, less than half, four spots, while the guys go and compete have like 10. And that's, and we, we only qualified two sleds for the guys. We had an opportunity to qualify three sleds. That would have been uh, a lot more. So I just, I... <laughs> talk about bobsled and how biased and sexist it is for just women competing and it's funny because ibsf uh the bobsled feder international bobsled federation was like yeah this is fair not fair at all not fair it's 2022 and women still have less opportunities to compete at the olympics than guys like it blows my mind i'm like <laughs> yeah everybody's like oh every women have equal rights like we've made so many big progress in athletics no we haven't it's still glaring you right in the face when you watch the winter olympics so um i hope it changes <laughs> um i really do because it's not like women can't drive a four-person bobsled they have kaylee and alana both have and actually they've beat guys in races <laughs> Kaylee had a four person bobsled and beat guys. So it's not like we don't have the skill to drive these bobsleds. It's just, we don't have the opportunity, which means uh, uh, younger generations growing up will have limited spots until they fix it. Man, this has been a year. So it's like, it's that stress. And then on top of that, the loss of your father. Um, when you were telling that story, I wanted to know, did, were you, did you decide, did you go home to the funeral or did you stay to see it through? No, I stayed. I stayed um, and I didn't get a race. I stayed and I didn't get a race. And the only thing that brought me peace was the fact that my family ended up not having a funeral because there was, they actually ended up being a blizzard. And so there, and COVID was going crazy rampant with the new variant. So, uh, my stepmom didn't feel comfortable having a funeral. And then also because of COVID, the funeral homes, like they had this thing where like, if they buried my father, he wouldn't have to be like in the morgue too long because of COVID. Like it was just a weird thing. So it was better that like, but I didn't find that out till afterwards. So like there was two days where I was like, Oh my gosh, like, I literally just missed my dad's funeral because I thought I was going to get a race, 
you know? But then when she said that, it, like, it did actually bring me a lot of peace. So we're going to have a memorial service in the spring, which is good. But man, during that time, I was like a mental wreck. I was like, wow. Like, and I just was like, I just asked the coaches, like, I know you guys are trying to like keep us all on edge. I was like, just please let me know if I'm not going to race. Like, just let me know so I can go home. And they were like, oh, you can go home. But they were like, we don't know. <laughs> Lies. Same people raced. <laughs> I am. I know how much he meant to you. What, how have you been processing that grief? And, and are there things that you've thought about just in, you know, that, that you will take with from, with you from, in terms of like lessons that you've learned along the way from your dad? I mean, I guess, uh, the blessing and all of this is, you know, my dad, his health, uh, it wasn't like a shock that he passed away. So I think that that would have really broken me. Um, his health started to deteriorate bef- like a little bit before bobsled season started. So I, I flew out and spent a week with him in the hospital and like, you know, the doctor warned me that he could go at any moment. He was like, he has up to like three years to live, but he could go at any moment. And so like I said a lot of things during that time. And so. Uh, I had time to like, you know, but then when it happened, it still was like, you know, I was still quite emotional, but, um, you know, it's, uh, I'm just glad that it wasn't like, you know, a crazy shock. I, I, I only, my heart goes out to people who, who lose loved ones and it's just like, you know, they weren't prepared for it. So at least I had a few months to kind of get prepared, you know, in terms of he's the one that got you started in running. Wasn't yeah. He? So yeah, he started getting me uh, in uh, to running at a young age, but that's just more so like, because we were poor, we didn't have a car. So we'd run to the gotcha. grocery store, we'd run back, you know, cause it was cold outside. He would like, keep your heart rate up and stuff like that. So it wasn't like he took me to a track and was like, well, we're going to learn how to do, you know, hurdles. It was more so like, we're going to run to the grocery store because we don't have a car. <laughs> so <laughs> got it. Got it. Do you think when you look at all the things that you've been doing this year, is there or over the past year, is there something that you have, I want to say like discovered as a new passion that you like when you look forward, what is it that you're most excited about continuing to do? And also I know that you mentioned yeah. running. I mean, is it, are, are you going to take it as far as you can? Uh, well, I don't really have a new passion. I, I usually every off season, I try something new, but because I, I, like you said, I moved right back into running. Like I took six days off, but that was just more so because I was tired. Six from, days. <laughs> no, it's not a lot. I mean, it was, I was on the road for bobsled. I just, I was really tired coming back because of the emotional stress. So I, mm-hmm. you know, and originally I didn't, it's not like I just showed up for track practice day one and I was just like, all right, let's do this. Uh, let's make another Olympic push. It, I had a, a talk with my coach and I was just like, I just told him basically what I told you. I was just like, man, like bobsled was awful to me, like awful. And I was just like, I'm too good of an athlete to let my career end how they treated me. I was like to get one race. I was just like, I'm a world champion in two sports. And I got one race the whole season. I was just like, I deserve more from me, like personally, like I can't go out like that. Like (laughs) having someone stop me is just not how I'm going to end my career. So, um, I was just like, you know, I don't know if I still have what it takes for hurdles. I was just like, I'm just going to work out really more so for my mental. (laughs) I was like, I'm just going to work out to run because it's really good for your endorphins and, and my mental state was struggling. And then, um, I did like my first hurdle practice and I sent, uh, my coach saw it and he sent it to my agent. He's like, actually, she doesn't look bad. Like we could put her in a, uh, indoor race right now. So, I mean, do I want to go to the wheels fall off? No, <laughs> but do I want to, to go until I have peace and like I go out on my terms for sure. So, and the cool thing about being so old is I'm, I'm actually in the master division for track and field. So like I have a chance to like maybe break the world record if I like can work hard at like master's event, which is master's. If you don't know anything about track and field is like really for old people. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you become a master at 35. It's like the senior <laughs> tour. It's like, no, yeah, I'm they kidding. have a, I'm but kidding. it's legit. They get drug tested and everything. They, uh, that you can run all the way up there. They have, uh, like a 90 year old running. She's like breaking world records. And yeah, you get drug tested at these competitions. But I mean, 
honestly, but there have been, um, there have been pro athletes that have run in their late thirties, early forties and won medals like at the Olympics, Felix Sanchez won a medal, I think at 42, um, and then there's multiple, like Edwin Moses, Gail Devers ran until she was like 39, 40. Again, I'm not saying I'm trying to make an Olympic push. I'm not trying to, I'm not even talking about medals. I'm just saying like, it's weird because people think your body falls apart, <laughs> like right at like, you know, in like your mid thirties are like, why are you still running? You should give it up. And I think if Tom Brady can show people anything. I was anything, just going to say yeah, that. I'm so like, glad you went there yeah, because you're like, right. That, you know you know, with technology nowadays and, um, information on how to eat healthy and clean. And there's just so much more sports science than there was years ago. Uh, you can definitely, you know, like I came back from bobsled and I was like doing sled pulls and like, I beat some of the guys. So I was like, well, like, do I really want to like just throw it all in the tank because of, you know, my season with bobsled. So I was just like, whatever, like, I don't know. I had, um, Adam Rapon on my podcast, yeah. Way to Gold. And one of the quotes he said is like, when you have nothing else to lose, like that's was like, I forget how it's, it's quote, but basically when you have nothing else to lose, like it removes all the pressures. Like, I mean, I want to go to these track meets and people are going to expect me to get dead last. <laughs> yeah. All the pressure's off. So it was like, who cares that I'm a summer winter Olympian? Who cares that I'm a three-time world champion? Like it doesn't matter because you know, my age is like glaring everybody in the face. So it will be good to go out there and just, you know, see if I can still go with kids who are like 20. <laughs> okay. If, if you got out there, if you're just kind of messing around, right. Doing it, working out. And if, if the door is open for an Olympic run, would you I do can't it? even think about that. Like I, my, uh, my heart can't even process I that. Gotcha. It's, you know, it's like, I literally, I've told everybody, I'm day by day retirement. <laughs> like I am literally, I go to practice, I'm day by day. But uh, I don't know. I think right now I'm feeling like I have enough energy, at least for this whole, this full season in track. It's, it's, I think what's going to be hard is like after this season ends and I have to restart, that's when it's going to get tough. And also I thought it was interesting about Tom Brady's retirement quote, because he said, I don't have the energy for the athletic commitment, something along that. It's like the commitment, you know, and that's where I'm at. I love running. Like, even though I, I make jokes that I don't like running, I actually really do like running because it's, it's a good, like you feel so awesome after it's done. I like, I actually don't like running. I like after I'm done running because it, it makes <laughs> you feel really good, but the commitment to it. And so right now I'm not fully committed to it. I'm, you know, I'm still eating what I want kind of, and like, let's say to make an Olympic push for summer, I have to be so strict in what I have to eat. I have to make sure I'm doing yoga like an hour every other day. I have to make sure I'm doing this and that and that. And like, I'm really glad it's not an Olympic year in track because right now I'm kind of just like, ah, you know, like I might stretch while I'm watching Netflix a little bit, <laughs> but uh, I'm just kind of taking it easy. Like I, this is like the season where I've actually stopped doing stuff like uh, normally I'm the type of athlete that does everything on the workout and then I add stuff. And then I'm like, I'm kind of skipping out on some things. Like we were doing hurdle walkovers and mobility and I'm like, ah, I'm going to do half of these. <laughs> like I was in the weight room the other day and there was like five exercises. I was like, I'm going to do the first three. And then I just left. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying you're human, right? I'm just, you know, okay. but you can do that as an older athlete. That's the trick is you actually can work out less. It's actually better for you to work out less than do everything that a 20 year old's doing. Yeah, I don't know. Someone, my agent told me that. So I'm just going to go with that. <laughs> go with that. Okay. So you're not so right. I hear you. So to reiterate, you're not even thinking about that type of Olympic thing because you're just entertaining no the idea chance. of running. No, but like you're if, not you had a, if you had, a, no, I you? mean, I'm, I'm more so like, yeah, I'm not going to, I don't think I'm going to make an Olympic push, but I'm not, then I'm like, well, maybe. And then I'm like, nah, I'm not going to do it. I'm like, yeah, are you kidding me? It's like, mm. but I'm like, well, what if God wanted to perform a miracle? And I'm like, eh. like, this is literally my inner, <laughs> like, it's so bad. It's like, and then I'll be like, and it's weird because I know all the icons, <laughs> right? Like, Dare, Dare Torres, like, that was, I remember making my first Olympic team and everybody's like, oh, Dare Torres, she's so old and she's making this Olympic team. And now I'm Dare Torres. And I'm like, right. 
Right. Mm, well, you but, know that uh, saying, you know that saying, you want to make God laugh. Tell him no, your plan. A, a good you story. never know. Yeah. Or a good quote. But I just, I can't, my heart can't commit right now. I, right. I literally just had, it's like breaking up with an ex, a really bad ex that, that was bobsled. And then it's just like asking someone, do you want to get married? Like the next day that that's what basically you're asking me because I just had my heart ripped out of my chest and you're like, Oh, so like what color flowers do you want at your wedding? And it's like, I'm not there yet. Like I'm, I'm going to be single. I'm like the lady right now. who's like, I'm just going to be single the rest of my life with cats. So plus now I'm getting all these rude DMS on Insta. It's like, you should just retire. Like, that's what's crazy is now as I'm getting the DMs. Like, well, you can't retire, read those. You give it up already. Not, but you know that you're not supposed to read those. I mean, you, you kind of Yeah, but the problem engage, is I'm trying to also interact engage. with like my yeah. good fans, you know, yeah. that have supported me throughout my career. Like I've had some really cool messages. Like people are like, I don't actually even, they're like, you know, cool about the Olympics, but I just like you as a person. <laughs> I like your Instagram stories. They make me laugh. And I'm like, that means a lot to me nowadays. Cause I'm just like, I don't know if I'll ever compete in an Olympics again. So the fact that people actually like me for me and not just because I'm an Olympic athlete is pretty cool. So did you not realize that before? No, I mean, most of the time, most of the athletes just assume like, oh, like you're a fan because you've seen me at the Olympics. So yeah. it's not until like, it wasn't until I announced on Instagram that I didn't make the bobsled team that I started getting like really supportive messages because they were just like, I don't really care. I was like, I just think you're funny. <laughs> and wow. I was like, oh, wait, so people actually like me if I don't do this Olympic stuff. <laughs> That's really cool. That's cool insight. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to you, Lolo, about your podcast, Gold Medal Loser, which is awesome. I know you've had some really cool guests. You know, you've shared some of them with us. What's it been like for you to do it? Well, what was shocking is the fact that I'm, <laughs> I didn't think I'd be so inspired by my other athlete friends because I'm like, oh, well, I've, I've lived what they're living. Like I've, you know, I know what like training's like. I know the procedures, but it's weird. Their stories kind of what they've gone through were different lessons. And I, it would just hit me and I'm like, Oh man, like I really needed to listen to that. Like I, I needed that motivation today. So I think it was just, um, more so that. And, um, yeah, I've just been encouraged, uh, by it, but uh, I just got to admit that like the title, uh, yeah, like <laughs> that was a huge debate. The gold medal losers, like people are like, what? Like, and then the podcast came out right before, like right as I didn't make the bobsled team. So people were like, this is weird timing, but they didn't know I'd like recorded it oh. a whole, like, like basically half a year in advance. But the title was hard for me because I love the title and I hate it. Like I love the title because it's, it means a lot of things. Obviously I, I lost the Olympic gold medal in Beijing, but also it's more so like gold medal, like loser, like turning your losses into like a gold medal. And so, uh, mm -hmm. that was, and most of my guests got that principle because they've all gone through something that has hit them hard where they were just like, Oh, I don't really want to experience this, but then it did something for them. Yes. So where it was like, it was actually better than getting a gold medal. So, um, yeah. So that was what was like kind of cool about the whole experience is just learning from other people's mistakes, to be honest. You know, it was interesting. I talked today to Angela Ruggiero, who's the four-time um, hockey Olympian, right? She played on Team USA, won gold in um, 98 in Nagano. And she was saying something very similar that when, that when she won silver, when they lost gold, She's like, that's the only time that you actually really take the time to actually reflect. She's like, what I found is saying that every time you win gold, it's all happy. Everything's better. Everything tastes better, sounds better. You move on really fast. You're celebrating and that's it because you've done it. But not until you don't reach that pinnacle, do you reflect to think like, okay, it didn't go the way I wanted. What did I do different? And you always, to your point, she was saying, have growth in that because it sounds like such a simple concept. But I mean, I've talked to people, there was a, I was telling her, there was a football player who was talking about just losing the Super Bowl by the nature of 25, um, when they were up 25, nothing. And Tom Brady marches in and comes and, you know, they come back in that game against the Falcons. He was on that Falcons team. And he was like that losing that Super Bowl meant more to me than winning because I learned so much, you know? Mm -hmm. So I do think that's fascinating. Yeah. And sometimes the losses, like you need them. They just give you that energy to go on and achieve 
something, maybe it's something different or just a different path you wouldn't have taken without that loss. So you talked about, um, going out on your terms. What does that look like now? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) I guess just, I don't know because I can't like, I mean, they have world championships for track and field and I'm not even like, I don't even, I like my focus is so not on like championships or medals. It's not on any of that. I think I'll just like, it's like when you fall in love, you'll know, like, you're like, Oh, I'm in love. It's like, when I reach out, I'm like, you know what? I think that this is a good time for me to step away. Like I feel at peace stepping away. So I don't know what that looks. I, I really don't know what it looks like, honestly. I mean, I could be, I could, I might retire tomorrow. Or I, I might, you know, you might see me in four years still trucking it. <laughs> okay. So then, so right now where you are in the, in the space that you're in, what is a perfect day like for you? How, how is it that you want to spend your time right now when you wake up tomorrow? Like, what is this new outlook that you have? Uh, well, the new outlook is just, uh, enjoying kind of things that I, I took advantage of, you know? So, cause you know, now it's just like, Ooh, I might not ever go to the Olympics. So again, like that's it for me. So going back to track, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to go to some of these track meets and it might be my absolute time run last time running. Like, what do I want to enjoy out of this experience? Like, what do I want to remember? You know? So is it like the fans? Is it, you know, just interacting with my coach? Is it my teammates? Like, what is it? What do I want to take away from that? So, um, I don't know. So it's a really un, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to really just be grateful for it all. So you're always a delight. I feel like I'm I'm having these awkward pauses because I have a million other questions I would love to talk to you about, but I really have to let you go. Well, I appreciate it. Well, good to be on. Good to see you again. And I hope you crush it. Um, me too. I know you will. Well, so. thanks. <laughs> Best of luck. You know, you're no, I appreciate as always your honesty and it's always fun to talk to you too. So we're rooting for you no matter what it appreciate looks like. It. Well, thank you. And keep having those tough conversations on her turf because I know a lot of people don't know about Olympic sports and they definitely don't know about female athletes. So uh, just keep plugging away. Thanks, girl. You can come back anytime. And next time, I can't wait to see what color your hair is. One thing about Lolo Jones, she's going to tell you how she feels all the way. And I think it's such an important aspect of being an athlete, right? Because there's something she mentioned about her podcast where she doesn't want people to just continue to give the answers that they've recited a thousand times before. And it gets very repetitious, right? They're doing so many interviews. So I love that she has always been that way. She's not going to be rehearsed. She's going to give it to you whether you like it or not, because it's the honest truth and it's her reality. Um, and it speaks to the conversation of mental health that we've had here on her, on, on her turf several times over um, the expectation that is put on athletes, the expectation that's put on women and beyond that expectation, how you have to present yourself in a certain manner or it's not acceptable to everybody who's out there. And she's shattering, she's shattering all, all of those stigmas little by little. Um, and it, and it does still weigh on her. I mean, she's only human. Yes. Very athletic, very successful <laughs> human being, but human still at the core. So I love that she she gave us that peek into what it's really like from the other side. And there are going to be people who don't agree with her or who maybe think she sounds like she's complaining a bit. But you know what? It's her reality. And everything that she feels is valid because she's the only one who can speak to that truth. So girl, we support you. We are here for you, Lolo. And thank you for letting us into that. We can grasp from what you shared with us, but we'll never know. And this is why it's so important to have these conversations and to let it all out there. Meantime, the women's hockey team came out with a war, winning 5-2 to two in the opening game of pool play against Finland, a team everyone expects to contend for a medal. Now, Team USA is defending their gold medal, and this was obviously a strong showing, but unfortunately, the win is overshadowed a bit by three-time Olympian and assistant captain Brianna Decker suffering a tournament-ending leg injury. We just had Brianna on the podcast not long ago, and we know how important being on the ice is to her, so we wish her a speedy recovery. 
Don't forget to rate and review On Her Turf on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to follow On Her Turf on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And check out some of our past episodes of the On Her Turf podcast. You can hear from another Team USA track and field athlete, Raven Saunders, and fellow Summer Olympian, Becky Sauerbrunn. And in between Winter Olympic sessions, you can get caught up on what Maddie Mastro, Kristen Santos, Brianna Decker, and Morgan Keller all had to say before they left. For Beijing. For the first time ever, the Super Bowl and Winter Olympics will be on the same day and the same network. Competition continues at the Winter Olympics tonight, and don't miss Super Bowl 56 as the LA Rams take on the Cincinnati Bengals February 13th on NBC and Peacock. Special thanks to everyone involved in this NBC Sports and Blue Wire partnership. Until next time. <laughs> 